team, and uh, it is a pleasure and an honor and a privilege uh, that I do not take lightly to be able to share God's word with you today. Uh, and we are going to continue to look into the life of Elijah. Uh, we are going to be coming from First uh, Kings chapter 19, as Eric read a little earlier. And I want to just make sure that you guys kind of keep your scriptures open because you can see as we go through these different things, all the things that we can learn today. All right, well, so how was y'all's week? Uh, I mean, nothing really much going on. We only had a Category 4 hurricane that makes landfall about 150 miles or so from here. We've had the Republican National Convention being held this week. Uh, we've had two more incredibly stark reminders that uh, uh, social injustice continues and uh, our original sin as a nation still needs work and is still a work in progress. Uh, that's led to an NBA playoff game boycott, WNBA boycott, Major League Baseball boycott, a tennis boycott. Other than that, just a normal week, right? No big deal, all right? And for 2020, it's like, yeah, and, you know, what else is going on, right? Oh, my goodness. Can I get an amen in the, like, in the house today, amen? I mean, it's crazy. Can 2020 be any more extra than it already is? I, I think not. Maybe some of y'all on the chat can kind of give me an amen, too. I mean, I know that y'all are on the chat. Y'all are checking us out and uh, involved in the service. But, my goodness, 2020 has been the strangest year I've ever seen. And I guess at this point I'm starting to get to where I've actually seen a few of them. Uh, but yes, it is quite the week, and it's reminding me of how timely it is when we find ourselves near God's Word. I, I planned actually months and months ago to be preaching this message on this day. Today I'm going to be talking about a broken man who has a bigger vision, and today I think it's just perfect for the things that have been going on in our world, the things that you're experiencing, the things that I'm experiencing. And the truth of the matter is, is that this kind of thing that's happened in our world in the past week and is happening all in this entire year is the type of thing that can sometimes throw you into a tailspin. Now, I'm not saying that you have to agree with that or if you've had maybe that experience in this year or not, I don't know, but you know that anytime it feels like everything around us is being shaken, we can get to the place where uh, we kind of have this uh, melancholy, this blue, this down feeling that is just a dark kind of pale over our entire world. And the truth of the matter is, is that that's not unusual. But I also want to just mention to you, it's really not that unusual to be a man of God or a woman of God and realize that some days are going to be difficult for us. We're going to have some seasons in our life, and sometimes we'd love it if it was just a one or two nights or even a week. But there, truthfully, have been seasons in my life, and probably I would gamble to say that most of you have had the same experience, that there have been some very, very dark days that didn't dissipate in just a week or two, but you've had some really down seasons, and I don't want you to misunderstand something. In James chapter 5, we talk about this passage of Scripture quite a bit. It's from the New Testament, but as we look in James chapter 5, the very first thing it says in verse 17 is that Elijah was a man much as we are, or very much like us. He was just a man just like us. And none other message that we're going to be covering in Elijah's life proves that any better than the one that we're talking about today. 
You see, last week, as we talked about from the Great Lives series uh, that Chuck Swindoll has, and we talked about it last week, the truth of the matter is, is that we saw Elijah at the very top of his game. He was in his biggest problem that he's ever faced, and he came through like an absolute champion. It was an incredible thing for him to do and, and accomplish in God's word. And from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 2 through 4, we see that he did not exactly get to enjoy that mountaintop literally and physically, uh, you know, as well as emotionally. He did not get to stay on the mountaintop for too terribly long. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2 through 4, Jezebel basically tells him, you know what? Uh, you've murdered the, the prophets of Baal, but let me just tell you this. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. That's the, the Jewish way of basically saying, I swear to God that I am going to take your life. You are going to be just like one of them. That's the Jewish equivalent of what it's saying here. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life just like the life of one of them. And here is what is so incredible in this passage of scripture. It tells us that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And here's what we need to make sure that we do not miss. Do not miss this fact. The truth is, is that we think we're only going to be afraid of things when being afraid makes sense. But I don't know about you, but I've been afraid plenty of times when it just didn't make sense. I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I'm not crazy about heights. I'm just going to kind of come clean here. My wife is, and she, she doesn't mind heights one bit. She'll get out on the edge and be taking pictures of the Grand Canyon or, you know, off the top of a, in a famous building and checking out this beautiful, incredible view. And I'm literally over there going, babe, don't, don't get too close to the edge. And I know I sound like a wuss. Please just don't judge me, all right, you Christian people. Y'all have some grace on me. But it's so funny because not only am I afraid that she might slip and fall, as crazy as it sounds, I actually am afraid that the building's going to start crumbling underneath her. I mean, literally, the building has stood for centuries, and yet I'm worried that the day that my wife steps out to the edge, that's going to be the day that it all crumbles and she goes falling to her death. So I'm back off here. Now, tell me if that makes sense. Of course, it does not make sense. But here's the truth. We can be very afraid when it doesn't make sense. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, that's true. And here is what's going on for Elijah. He just faced down 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Ashtoreth. And then one woman sends him a message and says, tomorrow by this time, you're going to be a dead man. And he takes off and runs like he just got threatened by Dwayne the Rock Johnson in his physical presence, right? And so he takes off running. All right, so here's what happens. Elijah's statue, the thing that we see on the top of Mount Carmel, he does not get to stay in that moment for very long. He turns and runs. And when he runs from Jezebel, he goes as far as he could go, and then he goes a step further. In other words, he goes all the way to Beersheba, which is 113 miles on foot. This is here's something to learn. It's 113 miles on foot, and then once he gets there, he leaves his servant there in the town of Beersheba, and he goes walking another full day into the wilderness all by himself. Now, Mount Carmel to Beersheba is something that you can actually see 
in modern day Israel, it takes you this amount of time, about five hours to go there in a car these days in modern world. But just walking, you can imagine how long it took for him. He was getting as far as possible away. But here's what I know. This is what happened. In the midst of an incredible victory, in the midst of the highest high, Elijah begins to experience the lowest low. And I'm not sure if it's ever happened to you or not, but I can tell you that it has happened to me. Where I've been on the top of the mountain, and then for some small or really insignificant reason, I get hit in the stomach or hit in the chest with something, and then suddenly I begin to think everything that I just experienced has no reality, no truth, no substance to it. And I fall down in this place in like a hole or a rut or a pit of despair. And so I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but this is exactly what happens to Elijah. And I, I brought this out from the very beginning in James chapter one or five, verse 17, because I want you to know he's a man just like we are, just like you are a woman or a man of God. You know that Elijah is just like you. And if it happened to him, it's not some hero. Last week, we talked about how bold he was. This week, we're talking about how broken he is. And he is still just as much a man of God when he is broken as he was when he is bold. And I don't want us to miss that fact. And if you are a person who's ever had to deal with this kind of down, this kind of dark days, the demons that you can hear in your background kind of attacking you and telling you you are less than and you have no worth or value, or that you should just end all of it all, this is what you need to hear. You are still a child of God. God still has his hand upon you. God can still use you, and you don't need to give up. Now, I want to just be very clear. I'm going to talk more about some of the, the deeper issues a little further along. I do believe that there is such a thing as clinical depression and that it is not just simply all spiritual. And I'm not just trying to make light of that because I do believe that there are some who need, for example, medications and things of that nature to get beyond some of the chemistry in their body that they are fighting against. I believe in disorders. I really do. I also know that for many of us, we have to face this idea of being down or being in a dark place for a long time, and it's not clinical, it's not physical, it is emotional, and we've gone down a dark road and gone down a downward spiral. I want to talk to us today about that. I'm not making light of any type or any sort of mental health issue that, is, goes, be, that goes beyond just the spiritual, and so I do want to talk a little further about that at the very end of today's message. But for all of us, I think we all can identify with the idea of having dark days and dealing with some demons that are getting to us. Maybe you can identify with this quote that I ran across as I tried to kind of prepare today's message. I'd never heard this. And this is something that actually is unattributed out on the internet. I can't believe there's actually something unattributed out on the internet. But there was a question, what is depression like, he whispered. It's like drowning, except that you can see everyone around you breathing. And I think this is something that captures the idea of depression. If you've ever been there, you look around and you see that others are living their life in a normal way, and yet you feel like you can barely catch your breath. 
Well, here's what we know. There were three miracles that happened as we talked about Elijah last week. We talked about three different miracles. We talked about the message entitled, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. We saw the falling fire from God on the sacrifice versus the 450 prophets of Baal. Then we saw the falling rain as Elijah prayed and said, Lord, send rain once again on the earth. And after three and a half years, it began to rain at Elijah's prayer. But then we saw at the very end that Elijah hooks up his cloak and he tucks it into his belt and he takes off running in front of the chariot of Ahab. And the Bible tells us he ran all the way to Jezreel. That doesn't mean anything to you and me because we don't know how far that is. But it is roughly up to about 40 miles. And so Elijah has just run in the spirit and power of God. It's a miracle. But he runs and outruns the chariot for about 40 miles. Now, you can do the math. That's more than a marathon. That's a marathon and a half. And you know what? For some of y'all crazy people who want to do marathons, I'm going to pray for y'all. And I'm not going to pray for y'all as you do the marathon. I'm going to pray for y'all because it doesn't make no sense to me. I mean, I don't understand it. I'm probably not going to run if you're chasing me. That's what I'm saying, okay? So here's what we see. The run of Elijah, the falling rain and the falling fire. It's three miracles. It happens. Boom, boom, boom. And they're all happening right there. But then we see that in the aftermath, in the backwash of this, that there is a threat from Jezebel and then Elijah's demons that probably were always there start talking to him. The very first one I want to talk about is this one. It's exhaustion. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you run a long, long way really, really fast, you're going to be tired, right? All right. That's the truth. For me, if I run really, really far, like, you know, 100 yards really, really fast, I'm going to be really tired. It'll probably do me in for about two weeks, right? I'm not like I used to be. Here's the truth. Elijah gave his physical body, but he has been under the stress of three and a half years of spiritual warfare. He's been the most wanted man in all of Israel. He's been hiding out. He's been living on a razor thin margin and he is exhausted physically and he is exhausted emotionally. Now, listen to me very quickly. Those of you who are here today, y'all pay close attention. Those of you on the chat and uh, doing the live stream, listen real close. You cannot live on a razor-thin margin forever and it not cause you to spiral out of control and put you in a dangerous place. I'm going to tell you that one more time. If you are living on a razor-thin margin, you will spiral out of control eventually because we're not made to run at the red line as an engine forever. And the truth is, is that we can do that, but we also have to have times of rest, times of being tr totally free and relaxing. And you know what? God knows this about us. This is how we are built. That's why every seven days he said, don't do anything, but just rest. I mean, totally rest. And in the United States in 2020, we don't do rest well. We really don't. We think that rest means I go and I go redline myself somewhere else, you know, instead of at work. And I go 90 to nothing and I barely make it back in time to make it back to my desk on Monday morning. That's not rest. It might be recreation, but it's not rest. 
And even in our world today, we try to make sure that people understand that we don't sleep very much. No, no, no. We, we are not that kind of person. We're not lazying our days away. Well, here's the truth of the matter, that for you and for me, we've got to be very careful that we don't degrade rest because God made room in his week and said, on the seventh day, you rest and you worship and you get your head back right where it's supposed to be. And Elijah has been three and a half years of living on a razor-thin margin. It was only a matter of time before he crashed. And if you don't realize that about yourself, I'm here to tell you it is true. Now, let me just tell you something else. I'm going to be real, real honest with you. And I'm probably going to be maybe a little bit vulnerable in a way that might make you uncomfortable. But I'm here to tell you that there are sins that I am tempted to give into when I am incredibly tired or mentally exhausted in a way that I'm not dealing with, I'm not struggling with those same sins when I'm okay, when I have some margin in my life, when I'm rested. And so I'm here to tell you that you might be pushing yourself into a place where you can't deal with the consequences of the sin that you might commit because you've been redlining yourself and pushing yourself into a place where there is no margin. If that is you, take the warning. It could be something that is catastrophic to your marriage, catastrophic to your testimony, your spiritual life, your financial life. I could go on and on and on with the list, but it all can come back to you may be exhausted. And if that's the case, find rest and find it now. Put margin in your life. Listen to what we see here. This is the first demon that's listed, and I want you to hear it from the scriptures. And as we go through these first demons here, about four of them that we're going to cover, I want you to hear that it's very clear in the scriptures. And so I grayed out the parts that don't apply, but I highlighted the parts that do. And so you can see Elijah's running for his life. And what does he say? He says, Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. You can mentally picture it, can't you? He gets under the bush and he's just done. That's, that's the New Texas version of what he says. He's like, Lord, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm totally done. That is what he's saying to the Lord. And we've all been there. Now, here's the second demon that he's got to fight very quickly. It is this demon right here. He's in isolation. It's self-inflicted, and it's also inaccurate. I want to talk more about how it's inaccurate a little later on in the message. But did you hear what we saw in, in, in that uh, passage of Scripture where he runs and he goes from Beersheba? Here's what it says. He ran from, uh, from where he was from Jezebel to Beersheba, and he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Elijah had a man, a right-hand man, who was there to help him, to serve him, to be an encouragement to him. He was the guy who was going to be with Elijah no matter what. And he goes to Beersheba and he says, you stay here. And then he goes and intentionally isolates himself a whole nother day's journey away. Now, let me just say something to you. Probably, if you are a person who's dealing with a dark day or a dark season in your life, you probably want to be alone. And I understand that. But listen to me when I tell you that you might want to be alone, but want and need is not the same thing, not even close, especially in this situation. You may want to be alone, but that may be the very last thing that you need in your life. 
The truth is, is that in for many of us, if we want to be alone and we desperately need that time alone, most of the time, it's not for a good reason, for a good purpose. He needed that friend to help him to see clearly, but he had no one because he isolated himself. And I know that I shared this with you guys a couple of weeks back about the isolation that T.D. Jakes spoke about. And I, I want to just kind of bring that back to your attention. Isolation is the last step before destruction. And in Elijah's life, it is so true. He's like leaving his friend behind in Beersheba. And then he walks out and he says, Lord, I've had enough. I really just want to die. Will you take my life? And I want to be very clear. He is in a low, low place in this moment. Whenever you're asking the Lord to take your life away, you are in a low place. We're going to come back to this quote in just a moment. But let's see one more time, one more demon that he had to face down as we see here. He also had to deal with fear. He was forgetful. And he was basing his life on comparisons. And I'm going to talk more about how he was forgetful in just a moment. But did you hear what he said? He said, Lord, take my life. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you are a person who is constantly comparing yourself to other people, you have set yourself up to be in a dark hole. Because the truth of the matter is, is that all you ever see of them is their highlight reel. And truth be told, you can't convince yourself that your highlight reel measures up. Because you know yourself better than everybody else. But man, I'm going to tell you something. Most people don't put their, their true business out on Facebook. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, they don't do that. They don't say, man, I got some serious problems. I have no idea where this rash came from. Nobody does that. Nobody. Nobody. I'm getting some laughs in the house. It makes me feel good. Isn't that true? Some of y'all are like, yes. Stay away from them. That means they know exactly what I'm talking about when I said I had a rash. All right, so here we go. He's compared himself to the others constantly, and you're going to lose because they give you the information that they want you to have, and you already have the entire story about yourself. And the truth is, is that I know who I am when I'm away from other people, when I'm alone in my own head, and I know there's stuff in there that never needs to come and see the light of day. But if I'm not careful, I can think that's who I am. Well, that's who everyone is. That's who we all are. But if we give light to that, if we begin to compare ourselves to people who say, I'm a, I'm a perfect little angel. Well, they're not, but they're not gonna tell you the truth about who they are any more than you want to tell the truth about who you are, who I am. And so we cannot convince ourselves. We put ourselves in that comparison. We always lose. It's not surprising that Elijah is here in this dark place because he's comparing himself to everyone. It's very interesting. Let's go to this next one here. This is uh, the fourth demon that Elijah has to face down. He faces down anger. And this is anger based on something that wasn't even true. It's very, very interesting to think about what's going on in Elijah's life. I, I don't know, some of you guys are old like me. You remember there was a comedian named Stephen Wright. He talked about depressing things in his, his I can't even do his deadpan delivery, but literally he would, his whole entire set of comedy would be like this. And he'd say things like, 
well, you know, you can't soar with the eagles always if you're a weasel, but the truth is, is that weasels don't get sucked into jet engines. You know, and they're just like <laughs> deadpan, you know, nothing else. But here's a quote that he landed really, really close to the truth. He says, depression is just merely anger without the enthusiasm. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? It's anger, but you don't know how to express it. You have no enthusiasm. You have no energy to put it out there. And it's just anger that's taken up root and it's eating you away from the inside out. The truth of the matter is, is that Elijah is dealing with this demon and it comes back to something he said over and over in today's message. And if you listen to what Eric was reading a minute ago, you might have heard what he said. He got up and he ate and drank and he strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days, 40 nights until he reached Horeb. He went into a cave, spent the night. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He says, but I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And you know, I don't want to make light of it. Because I know that when you're in a dark place, it's hard to get yourself out of that darkness. But Elijah is not thinking clearly. He's not thinking clearly. But do you remember that T.D. Jakes quote I put up? I want to put it up one more time. And I want you to hear this. No one loves me. No one understands me. No one cares about me. When you start hearing those words out of your mouth you need to realize that you probably are dealing with anger that might have even turned and curdled inside of you like bad milk and turned and gone towards depression. Because the truth of the matter is, is that A, it wasn't true, but you can hear it in Elijah. No one else is with me. I'm the only one left. No one did the right thing but me. And on and on and on. And the truth is, is that if you're angry with other people who have let you down, if you cannot find a way to forgive them, I promise you that it will come out in absolute anger, resentment, and bitterness. Or it might even come out in depression. For many of us, we have to deal with some of the stuff in our past before we can ever move forward so we can move on in our life. And I want to be very clear about this. But I also want to be very clear about this big idea today. Being broken doesn't disqualify you for God's use. Amen? I mean, can, can I get an amen in the house? I mean, aren't you glad that you can be broken and God can still and will use you in His work? It doesn't disqualify you for God's use. As a matter of fact, it's a prerequisite. In other words, you have to be broken in order for God to use you powerfully. This is what the Apostle Paul said, in my, strength, in my weakness, he is strong. I glory in my weaknesses because God's grace is sufficient for me. And so as we look at the Apostle Paul and as we look at Elijah, we grasp that yes, he was bold. There's no doubt about it. But on the inside, when you really strip some of it away, he was also broken. And the truth is, is that you can be bold and broken and God will still use you. You cannot be used until you are broken in the, in the hands of God himself. And I just want to make sure that we all grasp and understand something about God. God does not push back on Elijah and push him into a corner where he hurts him and says, you know what, you're worthless. 
I already answered every prayer that you prayed. I, I had fire fall from heaven, for goodness sakes. And then I answered a three and a half year drought and it ended at your word that you prayed to me. And then I enabled you physically to do an incredible feat. And I mean, what do you want from me, Elijah? This is not what God says. It is a beautiful thing when Elijah is absolutely at the end of his rope God lets him rest. And it is a beautiful thing that we serve a God who understands who we are and how we're built. And the fact that sometimes the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And when we fall flat, God doesn't say, get up, you worthless. You know, no, it's not that at all. He says, you know what? Rest. And then an angel brings him food, spiritual food. And he nudges him and he says, hey, wake up and eat. And he eats. And then do you see what happens? I mean, this, this guy could be a Baptist, amen? I mean, he, he eats and then he goes back for a nap on a Sunday afternoon, right? This is what we do, right? So he did good and God just said, hey, he needs rest. Let him rest. I am so thankful for a God that doesn't say you ought to be, you got to be, and you should be, but instead understands that sometimes I want to be all those things, but I'm just not up to the task. And that he loves me even when I'm at my worst. God is good. And he is good to Elijah at his darkest moment. He is the light that brings him out. And he is also the light who turns down a little bit and says, you know what? You need some rest. Why don't you get some rest? And you know what you need? You need some good, solid nourishment. You need some good food. And by the way... Sometimes the things that we're putting into our bodies are the things that are exacerbating our problems. I mean, whether it's the food or the substances or the medicines or whatever it might be, we need to be very careful about the things that we put into the temple of God that the Bible says our body is. I'm not against medications in any way. I'm on a few of them myself. But the truth is, is that sometimes I put things in that are not healthy for me, and I need to be very careful about that. Here's what we see about Elijah's angels. First of all, we see that rest, true rest and physical renewal is God's angel of mercy to Elijah. And here's something to learn. As we look at what happened when God spoke to Elijah, do you realize what he said? He said in his word, he says, that basically he calls Elijah out and he says, come out of that cave, come out of that dark place. And by the way, some of us might feel a whole lot better if we just opened our window shades for a little while. The truth is, is that sunlight is a help to us and getting outside, which maybe you haven't been doing quite as much in the pandemic and the hot Houston humid summer. Maybe just a little bit of time out in the sunshine would do us all some good. But here's what we see as God calls him out of the darkness, out of the cave, the Bible says he tells them the presence of the Lord is about to pass by. And then it says that an earthquake shook the mountain and then a, a rushing mighty wind came along and all of these and then a, a, a consuming fire. But the Bible tells us that the Lord was not in any of these things. But then in the King James Version, it says, but a still small voice here in the NIV, it says, but a gentle whisper spoke. And isn't it awesome that you see here in Elijah, he takes his cloak and he puts it over his head because God is speaking to him at the very depth of who he is. And if you are a person who's dealing with some dark days, can I tell you, there is a voice that loves you that can speak to you in a place that nobody else can touch. Let him, but slow down enough 
quiet your world enough, quiet your mind enough to hear from him. This is the other thing that I want us to learn, that sometimes when God speaks in a gentle whisper, we have done things that bury up that sound. We can't hear him, not because he's not reaching, but because we have layered over our lives with so much busyness and sound that when God is trying to speak to you, speak to me and saying, this is the way out of this darkness you're in, we don't hear it because we're covering up so much with the things that are going on in our lives that we don't hear God's voice. This second angel that Elijah says here uh, is this, uh, uh, Elijah has this, it's a connection, a friend and a companion. And next week I'm going to be talking about passing the torch, about how God literally says, I'm going to give you a close friend and companion. His name is Elisha and you are going to let him be your successor. You're going to mentor him. He's going to be your mentee. He's going to be your student. He's going to be your partner in ministry until your last day here on earth, literally on your last day here on earth. And so as we see this all happening and going on, God provides him rest and God provides him connection with the things that are going on, you know, that he desperately needs help with. God's giving him that. He's given him a friend and he's given him companions. And then let me just show you this here. Elijah's other angel is perspective. He's recalling Elijah to his purpose and God's purpose and his plan for Elijah's life. Now, I want to be very, very clear about something. God clarifies something very much to Elijah, but he already knew it. God clarifies this to Elijah. Let's take a look here in 1 Kings chapter 19. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. I, I encourage you to go back and read this passage one more time. But basically, God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He says, I, I've been, I'm the only one, and all the altars are broken down, and everybody turned around, and nobody's with me. Nobody cares about God but me. I'm the only one left. And then all of the things that happen with the consuming fire and the, the wind and the noise and the earthquake. And then finally the gentle voice. And the gentle voice asks one more question again. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then he gives that whole big rundown. Uh, I'm only one left. Of the, you know, goes on and on and on and on. And God finally, he gives him a list of things to do, including to go out and anoint the one who's going to be his companion, who's going to be his close friend. He gave him rest. But God clarifies something, and he makes sure that Elijah catches it, and he does it in a very, very gentle way, and God is like this oftentimes. Sometimes he hits us with the truth, but many times, especially when we are broken and in a broken place and in a dark place, God gently reminds us of something that we already remembered, something that we should have already remembered, and something that we did already know. Here's what God said, I've reserved 7,000 people. You say you're the only one, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 people who have not bowed down and kissed the idol of Baal, who have not worshiped him or bowed their knee to him. There's 7,000 people. So Elijah, you're only off by 6,999, you know, in your assessment of being all alone, right? But just remember this very clearly, Elijah already knew this. 
if you rewind at the very, very beginning, it sounded like I was from Oklahoma there for a minute, at the very beginning of chapter 18, you can see that Elijah has an encounter with a man named Obadiah. Some are not sure whether or not this is Obadiah who wrote the book of Obadiah. It could be, many scholars think that it is. But when he encounters Obadiah, he says, hey, Obadiah, I want you to go and tell your master, King Ahab, that I'm going to present myself today and that today is the showdown day. That's what he basically says. But look at this passage of scripture. In that going back and forth with Obadiah, in that conversation, Obadiah says to Elijah, he says, but Lord, my Lord, you know, it's like a a sign of respect, you know, hey, sir, You know, haven't you heard what I did while Jezebel was killing all those prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two different caves, 50s in each, and I supplied them with food and water. Now, who's he hiding? He's hiding the Lord's prophets. So Elijah already knows that he's not alone, but he's not paying attention. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying here is, is that he chose to believe something that was not true. He chose to believe a lie. And can I tell you that we often do this, and here's the dangerous thing about human nature, that we always believe when we hear a lie in our own voice. That's why it's so incredibly important for you and for me to not tell ourselves lies here and here and hear it here. The truth of the matter is, is that if we lie to ourselves, we always believe that we have told the truth, but it's not. Elijah was told, hey, I've been hiding the prophets of God so Jezebel wouldn't find them. But then he just skipped right by it. And then in his darkest moment, he said, I'm the only one left. But he already knew that there were at least 100 who were hiding in caves, plus Obadiah, who was trying to make sure that they stayed alive. Here's don't miss this. It is hard to bring a lie into God's presence. Though God loves us, He has a way of breaking down the lies that we believe, and he has a way of reminding us of things that we know that are true. Thank you, God, for not letting me constantly believe a lie, even when I've heard it in my own voice, even when I've said things that I believe to be true, and I've told them to you, and then you've said, you know, that's not really true. Randy, that that ain't right. (laughs) That isn't actually accurate. I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience, but I've had conversations with God about people in my life that I knew were the problem. And then by the end of the prayer, I realized (laughs) maybe I was the problem. God has a way of reminding us what is true even when we don't want to believe it. Thank you, God, for not allowing us to believe a lie. But can I tell you, for most of us, when we're in that darkness, we don't pursue God and we don't hear the truth the way that we should because we're running away towards isolation, not only from humans, but from God. And it is so important that we grasp something. And can I tell you one other thing? Just one more piece of perspective for you and for me. You know, we tend to think of ourselves in the way that Elijah did. He was on the mountaintop. And now he's in the valley. He was in, you know, winning in life, and then suddenly he was the loser. But the truth of the matter is, is that I don't believe that this is true in our lives. We're not mountaintop one day, valley the next. For most of us, 
The truth is actually more like this, and I show it all the time. It's like railroad tracks. You have two different tracks in your life, and one is usually going well, and the other is usually a struggle. Like, for example, you've got lots of time in your life. You've got time to do things with your family that you never thought you'd have time to do, but you don't have money. That's why, you know, that other rail is over there. You've got lots of time, no money. Or you might have all kinds of money and no time whatsoever. But, you know, the problem for most of us is, is that we usually want whatever the other rail that's not working right in our life, that's what we want the most at that very moment. And then when they get flipped, we want the other rail to be the most important rail, right? You understand what I'm saying? Like, for example, or for instance, if I'm struggling personally, professionally, I may be killing it or vice versa. And the truth of the matter is, is that for most of us, we're not mountaintop versus valley. We're coming down a, a railroad track, and it depends on which one you're going to give the most credence, the most focus on, the most clarity to. Because the truth of the matter is, is that Elijah is a couple of hours away from being the guy who they're going to build a statue on top of Mount Carmel because of what you just did and what you just accomplished. But then... What do you do? You instead focus on the fear that you have in that one moment. But I want to be very clear about something. Did you notice that when he received the food, he took off and he started walking and traveling towards that cave? I think sometimes in our, in our haste to understand the Bible, we fail to grasp what it actually said there. It's not all in one single setting. He runs to Beersheba and hides and he sits down under a broom tree. Then God gives him rest, gives him food. And then he travels again to a place called Mount Horeb. And he's in a cave. So he's in a totally different place 40 full days later after his bout with that depression. So it wasn't just a brief moment. Let's be very clear. Elijah didn't have just one single battle with this. This was something that he had allowed to find root and take root and take root and take root deeper and deeper and deeper in his psyche and in his heart and in his life. And when he said, you know what, I'm the only one left, he'd been telling himself that lie for better than 40 days. It's very clear that we have to be very careful that we do not allow ourselves to go down that path of darkness that wants to take us away from what the Lord says is true in our lives. And we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ, and he can do all things. And so we don't need to ever forget it. Can I get an amen in this house? All right, very good. So very quickly, as we end today, I want to talk about some very important things. I don't know if you guys uh, are fans or not. I don't know if I'm talking to a very young crowd or a very old crowd or anywhere in between. But there is a band called 21 Pilots. I don't know if you guys have heard of them. You probably have heard a song or two of theirs. They're actually a very, very interesting band. Um, and there's a picture of them. And it's just these two guys. But the guy on the right there is called, uh, his name is Tyler Joseph. And he actually has a couple of different tattoos on him and on his body and that kind of thing. That basically, he has told people, he said, well, these tattoos are very personal to me. They're hard to understand, but I don't want people to understand them. I just want to be reminded of these tats because these are the things that saved my life. You go a little deeper and kind of begin to grasp what these different tats mean in his life. And basically, you find out that it is his Christian faith. 
Go back and listen to some of the words, to the lyrics and the music that have been played for those things that he has sung about. You can tell the young man, I'm almost positive, suffers from bipolar. And so when he's dealing with that bipolar, we understand that God was able to shine a light and to help him through that. Now, I'm not saying that it was God and God alone. There was no medication involved. I don't think that that has to be like that for there to be true healing. But here's what I know. When he says, this is the thing that helped to save my life, he's talking about his faith that shone a light in the midst of darkness. He wrote an incredible song. It's off of the third album that, they, that I have of theirs. It's called Trench, and it's called Neon Gravestones, and it is all about people who don't grasp the fact that suicide can affect so many people and it ripples out. When Elijah says, Lord, it's enough, take my life away, he's talking about his life literally ending and that's where his mental headspace is. I believe it is important for us to talk about this and grasp something. The truth of the matter is, is that good Christian people have these thoughts Good Christian people have syndromes or even disorders that they have to overcome, and God can help. We need to be there for one another, and we don't need to be judging anyone because the truth of the matter is, is that all of us have a battle that we have to face. Some of us have many. But here is what I do know. I do know that God has not discarded you if you are broken. God did not walk away from you if you were broken. He did not say, ah, oh, I'm so tired of dealing with Elijah. If you think this was the first time that Elijah has ever dealt with kind of this type of mentality, these types of dark holes that he's found himself in emotionally, I think you're crazy. I think Elijah has probably dealt with this before and probably had to deal with this again. I believe that some of us have these battles but I also believe that God is the light and that he is the way out and that he is the true north that pulls us out of these dark places that can make us do things that we will always and forever regret. There is a pastor named Jared Wilson, and I want to pick, put up his picture here. This is a picture of he and his family. He actually was a pastor on the staff at a mega church there in California, and this is Time Magazine, and I kind of blocked out, I don't know what that particular, you know, um, particular medication was for, so I blocked that out. But this is him and his family, and they are in Time Magazine because he actually committed suicide. And you think to yourself, how in the world is that possible? He's a pastor, you know, he's a man of God, he's not gonna have these kinds of problems. Hey, newsflash, you have to be broken to be used of God. But just because you are a Christian doesn't mean you get to avoid the outflow of that brokenness. And some of the challenges that some of you might be facing, you need to hear that it is okay. But you also need to hear that you do not need to go too far down that road. You need to seek help and you need to be reaching for the people in your life and for the purpose in your life that God has created you to interact with and connect with. Don't think it's okay and don't think that you can redline yourself and live with no margin in your emotional and spiritual condition forever and not have these issues putting yourself in extreme danger. 
And I want to just make sure, and I'm, gonna, I'm reading this out loud because some of you might be listening on the podcast later, but the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Or you can text the word home, like house, but home, to 741741. It is a, text, a, a crisis text line that you can connect with them. And I do want to encourage you, if you are dealing with some of this, especially during this pandemic and the craziness that's happening in our world, and it's just gotten to the place where it's just too much, please reach out to me, reach out to other people that are there for you and want to be there for you, and reach out to the medical professionals that can help you. And I want to remind you too, you can go to an emergency room or you can call 911 if you have these issues that you're dealing with. And please don't, don't wait until it's too late. Let me be very, very practical. If you have begun to make a plan of what that looks like in your life, you've gone too far and you need to get help right now. Right now. Please, right now. So here is how we apply this message. For those of us who are familiar with dark days, maybe not to that same degree, but we understand dark days. Here's how we apply this message. You ask yourselves these questions, just like in that gentle, still, small voice, as the Lord spoke to Elijah, he asks, who, what, and how? That's what we should be asking ourselves and allowing the Lord to speak to us. Who are the people in my life that are rocks that are going to hold me up in the midst of the difficult days? What is my purpose and how am I moving that forward? Because the truth of the matter is, is that when we lose that clarity and fail to see what our life is worth, we begin to become stagnant and we put ourselves in a dangerous position. So these are I apply by questions. Who are my rocks? What is my purpose? And how am I moving that forward today? And here's what I would say. Today is your day to engage them all. Begin to be clear about your purpose. Begin to work towards your purpose and reach out to those people. And by the way, notice I put rocks, not who is my one rock, because inevitably someone will let you down. You have a bigger network than just one person. And by the way, the most important thing that you can do is hear the quiet, gentle whisper of your God who says, you may be broken, but you are mine and I love you and I'm not done with you. For whoever is out there hurting and in the midst of a dark day, God, speak to them in the gentle whisper that you alone have. Speak to the very heart of who we are and restore us, reconcile us and redeem us, I pray. And God, please help us as well to be there for others. Help us, Lord. And if there is one who needs to reach out, I pray that they would do that very thing today. In Jesus' name we pray.
be able to understand the challenges that we face today. And I ask you, Lord Father, that I know many people right now, whether you're online or where you're sitting here right now, you're going through something. Some may be more extreme than others. Some people may be going through such a dark time they have nowhere to turn. Some may just be going through financial difficulties or relationship issues right now, and it's just a challenging time for them. But, you know, it takes me back to John 3.30, where it says, He must increase, but I must decrease. You know, it's, it's interesting because we can do a lot to try to solve all our problems, but we only have one thing that we need to do which is to give it to him. Give it to Jesus. Our finances, do we look at it as ours or do we think of our finances as Jesus? As his money. So I don't have to worry. He's going to provide. Relationships, issues I'm dealing with. Am I trying to control the situation and outcome or do I give it to him? Whatever you may be going through, even some of the, the strongholds that the devil may have on us right now, that causes us to go in depression. Just give it to him. That's why he died for us. Lord Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you, God, for loving us. I thank you, Lord Father, and want to recognize you for being our almighty, our savior. And we just thank you, Lord, for grace. Giving us, Lord Father, the grace that we, the, 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 the grace that we just don't deserve. But yet you just show up every single time when we give it to you. Thank you for that, God. And I ask you, Lord Father, for that person right now that's going through a tough, tough time, a dark time in their lives. I ask you to touch them, Lord Father. And I encourage them, Lord, to come to you and seek you and stop trying to hold on to it and control it, but allow you to step in. I ask you, Lord, to allow us, Lord Father, to see and understand that all we have to do is abide in you and you'll take care of your children. Lord, you don't fail. Your promises are always true. We just thank you, God, for loving us and being there and taking care of us and sacrificing your son. In the name of Jesus, God. We just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. Thank you. It's strong, it's fine, but the cross has 